<laughs> this is a crazy. <laughs> this is a crazy film. I know. We should have. I should have watched this before we committed <laughs> to it as a choice. I thought it'd be fun to do as like, a, oh, neither one of us has seen it, and it's a newer film, and it's gay. So let's do it for Pride Month. <laughs> this was a manipulative, crazy lesbian roller coaster. <laughs> All right, let's buckle in then. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where the on-screen text is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are covering the 2018 period black comedy, The Favorite. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> it's crazy. This film is nuts. <laughs> I can't wait. Like, from the trailer, I could tell that it was probably going to be kind of funny and, like, sort of, like, domestic thriller type situations, but this just, this got so out of control. But you know I love it. Because of all the royalty. For real. <laughs> and you know me, I love my period costumes. Exactly. Uh, you, you would look great in some Queen Anne Stewart get-ups. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> but before we get started, <laughs> don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at KickinStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M, please. Pretty please with sugar on top. <laughs> You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. And that doesn't just go for us. If you're following artists and podcasters on Twitter, retweet and engage with their stuff. You have no idea how much that helps us. All right. Uh, are, are you ready for this? Because I'm not sure I am. Like, guys, we'll try not to keep you too long. Let me say this at the start. This film is all over the place. Yeah. And so we're going to try and do our best getting through it here. You think we can leave out maybe one of the skeet shooting scenes? Like, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about a great time in history here, so. And yeah, that brings me to uh, my trigger warning. Uh, just trigger warning for intimate partner violence and... Gay intimate partner violence. Gay intimate partner violence, mental health issues, suicide ideation, just... It, I mean, it's we're going to have a fun time, but it's going to get rough in some parts. Like, at the same time, like, when I, when I chose this as our next selection, like I said at the time, we should have seen it before we decided it would be for Pride Month. Yes, we are dealing with a with queer relationships here, but like it's very dark and very manipulative, and we don't. I, I don't want to say that that's a representation of what queer love is at all. But well, no, and that brings me to my most important point, which is that just because you're gay doesn't make you a good person. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> We're not all good people. Also, some people pretend to be gay. Yeah, that's also a thing. And it's really awful, but we'll 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 unpack that here. Yeah. <laughs> Dearest Queen, you are mad. Giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Molly. We are at war. We won. Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. The Queen is an extraordinary person. They were all staring, weren't they? I can tell even if I can't see, and I heard the word fat, fat, Anne. and ugly. No one but me would dare, and I did not. She's been stalked by tragedy. Everyone leaves me. He dies. I apologize for my appearance. I hoped I might be employed here by you. 
as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. <sighs> it is important to make new friends in court, is it not? You're so beautiful. Stop it, I, you mock me. If I were a man, I would ravish you. <laughs> you have become close to Abigail. She is a viper. You're jealous. You must send Abigail away. I do not want to. Let's shoot something. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I must take control of my circumstance. Throw! I'm on my side. Always. Favour is a breeze that shifts direction all the time. Then, in an instant, you're back sleeping with a bunch of scabrous whores. As it turns out, I am capable of much unpleasantness. <laughs> Did you just look at me? Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! Stand by and let you destroy me. <laughs> you are enjoying all of this, aren't you? <laughs> it is fun to be queen sometimes. If you do not go, I will start kicking you. And I will not stop. My dear friend, how good to see you've returned from hell. I'm sure you shall pass through it one day. Okay, so Yorgos Lanthimos? It was a good try. Or, yeah, oh, so it's like Georgios Lanthimos or Georgios Lanthimos? Georgios? He's think. Greek. <laughs> he, he's known for a couple of movies. Uh, one's called The Dogtooth. The other's called The Lobster. They're international films. He's done a lot of stuff in theater and short film. And I think this was kind of his stepping out project. With The Favourite. Because The Favourite had immense acclaim when it came out. And what, it's about three years old at this point? Yeah. Olivia Colman won Best Actress for this role. <laughs> yes, she did. At the Academy Awards. So, I will say it again. I, it would make a great play. This is great theatre. Mm -hmm. And there's not very many characters to pay attention to. Oh, absolutely not. But still, the crazy intertwined historical power web that is formed here is just insane. I think this is a story that hadn't really been told yet that needed to be told. Obviously, if you're from the UK, if you learn British history, you probably know about Queen Anne and the Acts of Union and unifying Great Britain and the fact that her lover basically ran the country for most of her reign. Like Edith Wilson. Like, yeah, when Wildrow Wilson had a stroke <laughs> in, the, in like the last year of his presidency was not awake. <laughs> and Edith Wilson just kind of ran the show. But, you know, a lot of historians really do not agree on just how queer Queen Anne was. This is true. There, there, there is some speculation on this, but I, 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 from what research I've done... I've read the letters. They're intimate. Like I've read I've read pieces of what exists, granted a lot of it was destroyed. But like from what does survive, I think it's gay. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. no one exerts this much power over someone without it being that deep. Yeah, we have to re-examine the concept of they were just friends, everybody. Yeah, yes, remember we did Iron Jawed Angels. Yes. <laughs> I say this every time we talk about close female relationships in history. They might not have been just friends. They might have been lovers. Who knows? Sexuality is forever fluid and changing. Indeed. Um, can we talk about our principal filming location real quick? 
Hatfield House. Because here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed, but as we've been watching period stuff over the last few months, Mm -hmm. I've been pointing at things and going, where is this filmed? This looks so friggin' familiar to me. I'm so proud of you. You're recognizing your Britannic landmarks. And yeah, I finally, (laughs) I finally started to recognize, like, the fact that this was all one house. Can I read you some of the film and television credit for Hatfield House? Yes. Okay, Batman, 1989. Some of the interiors for Wayne Manor. Indeed. Were filled in Hatfield. Tomb Raider, that was Lara's house. V for Vendetta. Elizabeth the Golden Age. They used it for Charlie Hall. Hatfield House is where the real Queen Elizabeth I was kept under arrest. Yes. Remember when we did the remember when we did Elizabeth guys? Yeah. Earlier in the year? That you was... may return to your own house at Hatfield, but you remain there under arrest until I am recovered. Exactly. It was used in Might Week with Marilyn, Anola yes. Holmes. If you've been watching Bridgerton, you'll probably recognize some of these scenes. That main hallway where a lot of the action takes place in the movie. Yeah. Um, I recognize that from the great. Because they use that hallway over and over and over again. (laughs) Period dramas take care of each other. (laughs) Yeah, they sure do. (laughs) And then this one was the weirdest one. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Veruca Salt's house. Yes, it sure is. Yes, yes. (laughs) Oh my God. Tony McNamara is our principal screenwriter here. Tony McNamara also wrote a great deal of The Great. Yeah I, yeah. I, yeah, I understand why Nicholas Holt is in both things. Is it Elle Fanning yes. that stars in The Great? Yes. About, you guessed it, Catherine The Great. Uh-huh. I love that show. If y'all aren't watching that show, you need to check it out. <laughs> and that brings us to, you might have guessed it, but we have names. As Queen Anne, Anne of Great Britain. The last of the Stuarts. We have... Olivia Coleman. <sighs> Guys, she was with us when we did The Iron Lady. She mm-hmm. was Carol Thatcher in that. Uh, you, of course, if you know anything about me, I love her as Queen Elizabeth II in The Crown on Netflix. You little slut. I, I, I know. <laughs> Guys, uh, Broadchurch, Fleabag, um, The Father, which is coming out to great acclaim right now with her and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. She's great. I feel like you're the Helena Bonham Carter to my Olivia Coleman. <laughs> That Graham Norton clip <laughs> yeah. where they're sitting next to each other on the couch. And now, Olivia, you famously have no method. That's an understatement. <laughs> Helena. <laughs> She's out here telling stories on her. I love it. We have, as the Duchess of Marlborough, Sarah Churchill. Yes, an ancestor of Sir Winston Churchill. We have Rachel Weiss. I don't recognize her from a lot of things. I know she's on the Daniel Craig show, has been since 2011. Are they married? They are married. Oh, okay. That is her husband. She's from the Mummy franchise. You'll recognize her as Evelyn if you're a fan of the Mummy movies. She was in Constantine, which is a movie I like and I feel like a movie you would like because it's got Tilda Swinton in it. Um, She's from The Lovely Bones. Uh She's in that horrible Oz prequel I mentioned last week. (laughs) Oz the Great and Power. She plays the Wicked Witch of the East. With what's his, is it, is it James Franco and Mila Kunis and whatever else is happening in and, that? Yeah, and Michelle Williams, yeah. I like, I, I've never formed much in a, of an opinion about her work, but from this, she's great. <laughs> yeah, for she, real. She was absolutely perfect, I think. Please welcome back to Kicking and Streaming the lovely, the scintillating Miss Emma Stone, who is not British. No, she's not. But I not. actually don't care. <laughs> 
Uh, she's playing, uh, I don't want to call her our heroine, but she's playing Abigail Hills. You remember her from when we covered Crazy Stupid Love. She was in Easy A, which I love. She, when we did The Help. Maniac. You and I love Maniac. Yeah. Super bad. La La Land. Fuck La La Land. <laughs> I know. Fuck La La Land. Anyways. Cruella looks sick as fuck. Cruella does look like, it's interesting to me. The one clip I have seen is of Horace and Jasper backing the truck up to the red carpet. The trash train. The trash train. Oh, my God. We have, as you mentioned earlier, Nicholas Holt. He is playing um, Robert Harley. The leader of the opposition. The leader of the opposition. He's so cute. But He's so cute. In everything I see him in, I hate him. Oh, I mean, hey, that's a good wheelhouse for him. He can be that prick that you just have to hate. He was in Warm Bodies, which is the first place I ever saw him. Is when... that the zombie Romeo and Juliet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then he was in the X-Men movies, at least the ones that take place in the past. And uh, he's one of the stars of The Great, which I mentioned earlier. And he's also in that uh, little biopic about Tolkien. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, folks. Okay, Carrie Ann. You need to let me do a little Ross's History Corner here. No, that's fine. I, we definitely have some preloading to get through before we get to the main narrative, so take it away. Here's a basic rundown of Britannic history. So obviously in like 10 whatever the hell, you have the Normans. They invade. That ensues many different wars between many different houses to claim the right to the English throne. The Plantagenets, the Lancasters, the Yorks. They fight it out. We basically get solidified by, you know, the 16th century with the Tudors and... Uh, as you know, as from our coverage of Elizabeth, Elizabeth I was the last tutor. She died childless. Mm -hmm. It then transferred to, you know, her cousin's son, James I, who was the first monarch of the House of Stuart. And we are now at the end of his line. Yes, Chronologically. Anne ends up becoming queen because her sister died childless. Older sister Mary. Mary II. Yes. Because we know about Mary I. Mm -hmm. And then their uncle was James II, and he was banished or exiled or abdicated or I don't actually even know how that panned out. But basically, like with most queens of the United Kingdom, they were never supposed to be queen. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that might be something that eludes people is that when, when you're don't when you're born destined for the throne, you get lots of training associated with that. Mm -hmm. And your younger siblings may not get that same training because they were never supposed to be the monarch. Yeah. So I, I can see the learning curve associated with that. So yeah, Anne was never meant to be queen. She was married to this Danish prince and she had kind of a shitty life. She was plagued by ill health her whole life. And what we're seeing here is this is actually portraying her towards the end of her life. I, I I feel like people more often than not want to historically embellish her role. She didn't really have much of a role. Everything was done for her. Mm -hmm. She basically had no self. It's actually kind of tragic. I bet she had the potential to be a lot more than what she was, but everyone was telling her what to do her whole life. And she did have a lot of personal problems that we're going to get into in the discussion of this narrative. The amount of depressive incidents that this woman was exposed to throughout her life, mm -hmm. both you know as a result of external circumstances and of her own making, it it's really horrible. Yeah. I feel incredibly bad for this character, and I think Olivia Coleman does it great justice. She deserved that Oscar. Absolutely. Okay, guys. <laughs> so, this is taking place circa 1710. Yeah. 1710, 1711, somewhere in there. 
First of all, way too many production titles before the, the movie starts. <laughs> Takes us back to that Family Guy bit. We're like, oh, is this the movie? Nope. Nope. Next one. That's nah, a production company. I think there's like four of them. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes a lot of cooks is a good thing. Also, the on-screen text is stupid. Like the font is stupid. It's weirdly spaced out. You can you would have to pause it to read it all properly. Yeah, I know. I don't know what I don't know who made that decision, but I need to talk to the editor. There, there's a lot of things about this movie that are very disconcerting. The fisheye lenses and the weird shots that are way too long. And, and the music. Like I really do believe it's all very intentional. I do believe that it's meant to unsettle us and keep us on our guard. So, like I said, we have Queen Anne, Olivia Coleman, in all of her regal glory. <laughs> we have Rachel Weiss as Sarah Churchill, the Duchess of Marlborough. I'm probably going to be referring to her as Marlborough. If I'm referring to her husband, I'll say Lord Marlborough. You can say the Duchess, Lady Marlborough, whatever. The Duchess of Marlborough is the Queen's favorite. Mm. You remember when we did Elizabeth, Robert yeah. Dudley? He was her favorite. Joe Fines, Yeah, he was kind of Queen Elizabeth's favorite. Like the idea of the favorite basically just denotes a courtier who has a, uh, let's say, unearned position of influence with regards to the monarch. Exactly. It, it's like they may not hold any real decision-making power, but they can be in your ear and say things that might tip their favor one way or the other. Not in this narrative, though. <laughs> in this narrative, the favorite quite literally has all the power. Uh-huh. It, it really does seem that way. Um, the Duchess of Marlborough was not only, you know, the woman of the bedchamber... Not only a very high-profile, successful courtier, not only the wife of the Duke of Marlborough, but she was the keeper of the privy purse. Which is basically like the palace accountant, right? Ex kind of, yes. <laughs> Comptroller, whatever you want to call it, she handles the finances. But she actually handles a great deal more than that. Basically, I'm just going to rip the band-aid off here. Spoiler alert, but um, they're gay. Um... <laughs> Y'all know why you're here, right? They have a romantic, intimate, sexual relationship. And they have for a very large majority of their time together. They've known each other since they were kids. Since they were kiddos. Since they were like five. Is that why they call each other Mrs. Freeman and Mrs. Morley? Mrs. Freeman and Mrs. Morley is in reference to the names they would give each other in their love letters. Oh, so no one would ever know it was them. Like, remember when I told you about uh, John and Abigail Adams courting and they would address their letters, Diana and Lysander, so that people wouldn't know? Oh, yeah. how scandalous. I know. I love it. That's kind of what this is. I love how they have the passageway between their two wings of the palace. It's like their own little secret corridor. This is Hampton Court Palace that we're supposed to be at currently. And, like, the narrative starts on the day that Anne is bestowing a great gift to Lady Marlborough. Um, listen, she loves this bitch so much, she's building her a palace. <laughs> Blenheim Palace, to be specific. This is the palace where Winston Churchill would be born. Yeah, isn't that fun? I know! <laughs> so much money. <laughs> oh, they spent so much money! And isn't that kind of Lady Marlborough's point? Anne pulls the cover off of this model for this palace. You do not lisp, but you are mad. Giving me a palace. Well, I've been wanting to give you something for quite some time now. Seemed like the perfect opportunity with Marlborough winning. It is a monstrous extravagance, Mrs. Morley. We are at war. We won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh. Oh, I did not know that. 
She has no. Here's the thing, guys. The Queen has no idea what's going on. It's not the funny. Du- the Duchess of Marlborough basically acts as Counselor of State. She runs everything. Yeah, because Anne is either too depressed, too sickly, or too indifferent to do anything about it. This is the du- mm. <laughs> Sarah Churchill was a very manipulative woman. Mm-hmm. Very emotionally abusive to Queen Anne. All right. <laughs> this film is kind of cut up into these acts, if you will. Yeah. So we have act one. This mud stinks. <laughs> Which, again, I had to pause to read on screen because the text is, for whatever reason, a mile in between letters. So we have Abigail Hill. This is Emma Stone. She's traveling in this communal carriage. I couldn't imagine having to travel that way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's miles and miles and miles across country with crammed into this tiny carriage with at sometimes up to eight people. Yeah, for real. She's in there with there's another guy on her on her left side. And then there's like a whole family in this carriage. Mom, dad, little kid and a baby. And then there's also a soldier in there with them. Yeah, they're crammed in there like sardines. Do you want to talk about the awful thing? Oh, my God. The soldier starts jacking it to Abigail in front of everybody. Like, they're all they're on top of each other sitting in this carriage, and he starts jacking off. They're closer to each other than you and I are right now. I know. And our knees aren't even touching. Ugh. Like, oh, this is so awful. And then they get up to the palace, and they just kind of push her out of this carriage. The soldier kicks her. On, the soldier trips her on her way out of the carriage, and she falls in a mud pie. <laughs> That sucks because she's on her way to Hampton Court Palace to present herself to her cousin, the Duchess of Marlborough. She wants a job. She wants to work in the palace. Why, I don't know. She wants a job because her family has been on like a downward spiral ever since she was like 14. You are correct. They fell out of nobility. Yeah. They fell from grace in the, you know social court. Like, her father was a drunk and a gambler. He lost all their money. He pawned her off in a card game. She had to marry this disgusting German guy in order to clear all of her father's gambling debts, save him from debtor's prison. And then that guy died, and now she really doesn't have a life now. (laughs) The things we put children through, and have always put children through. God. And like, I mean, a lot of us have had shitty job interviews, but I guarantee none of us have actually done it covered in shit. So Abigail presents to the Duke and Duchess of Marlborough and Godolphin, the Prime Minister. I apologize for my appearance. The staff led me here. A harmless prank of some sort, I suspect. And you want? I hoped I might be employed here by you as something. A monster for the children to play with, perhaps. Yes, if you like. (sighs) At first, I love Abigail. At the end of the movie, I hate Abigail. Let's just say that. So she gets the job. Mm, A monster for the children to play with. (laughs) Yeah, I love that bit. The Duchess doesn't think shit of Abigail. Yeah, they might be family, but she fell from grace. She's nothing but mud on the bottom of her shoe. So she sticks her in the kitchen with all the other scullery maids. I can't imagine having to live and work this way. Yeah, that's one thing I did like about this movie a lot is that it gives us a glimpse into the lives of the servants, like the actual, like not like Downton Abbey. Yeah, this ain't no Downton Abbey shit. No, this this is like actually what their day-to-day looks like. They don't have bedrooms in the kitchen. They sleep in the kitchen. Basically, yeah. Just wherever they can find space on the floor, on the countertop. They all have to bathe in cold water and use the same bar of soap. Ooh. In stark contrast to that, 
It's like being on the Titanic. Cut to the politicians and courtiers <laughs> having a grand gay old time. This is when men thought it was masculine to look feminine. Oh, yeah. And I think that's astounding to me how society is 180% rejected that. Turned it around, did a complete 180. Like, all these men in these elaborate Louis the Sun King wigs. Mm-hmm. And they're drinking and gorging themselves with this decadent food. And they're racing ducks duck. in the palace. You heard that correctly. They are having duck races. Like, leave them animals alone. And, you know, Godolphin's duck, Horatio, wins the day. <laughs> <laughs> of course the Prime Minister's duck won the duck race. The fastest duck in the land. Like, this is what they do for fun while people suffer below. So, like I said, Duchess of Marlborough basically runs the country for the Queen. Here we have, after the duck race, we have the victorious Horatio sitting with Prime Minister Godolphin and the leader of the opposition, Robert Harley. The leader of the opposition is mad that um, we're at war. Let me give you a little background here. It's the war of the Spanish succession that they're fighting right now. Basically, the Spanish line died out, and now the French want to, the Bourbons want Mm. to assume control of France, which they did. And Harley's upset with the Duchess of Marlborough because there's a new tax hike coming up in order to further fund the war. That came from the Marlboroughs. Yeah, and he's mad that everybody's spending too much money. Battle will not win the war. I have held my party together as we, the country landowners, have essentially paid for this entire war. And grateful we are too. While city merchants enrich themselves from it. And yet I do not see your fat Tweedy dead when I look out upon the battlefield. We're out of money, my point. The French are chastened, but not defeated, Harley. We must destroy them. And I love Nicholas Hole in this role. He just. He was born to be in period pieces. He was born to be these fops. Oh, absolutely. He he was born in that wig the way he moves in it. He actually um he actually had names for all his wigs. Do you want to hear them? Please. That big white one? Her name was Babs. Her. <laughs> Babs is a she. Yes. That orange wig he's wearing when, when they're throwing the pomegranates at the naked guy, that one's Lulu. And then there was another one named Hattie. Babs, Hattie, and Lulu. <laughs> we have this scene where Annie merges, and she looks badass, by the way. Yeah, she's getting dressed up for a meeting with a Russian Russian representatives. She's ready to meet the Russian ambassador. And, like, she comes out, and she's got this great makeup on that's really cool looking. She's done this smudging black shadow uh, away from her. Like, it's like a smudged wings, almost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... And she and I love it. I think she looks great. But the Duchess of Marlborough takes one look at her and she's just a bitch. I'm ready for the Russian ambassador. Who did your makeup? We went for something dramatic. Do you like it? You look like a badger. Oh. Are you going to cry? Really? And the the way that the queen just lock just shuts down and locks up. She was so happy. She was like, "I'm gonna have a good day. You know, my legs not bothering me so much. I look really good. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet the Russian ambassador." And she just tore her down. Yeah, when she says that, you can physically see her shrink. Yeah, I hate it. Are you going to cry? She's so abusive and so hurtful. It's so mean and infantilizing. Do you really think you can meet the Russian ambassador looking like that? Like, no wonder this woman has confidence issues. She takes a mirror out of her dress and gives it to her and goes, what do you think you look like? The way that she just kind of shrinks and is like, a badger. Oh my God. And she's like, go fix it. (laughs) She's walking out of the hall. I And this poor page boy standing there by the door. (laughs) 
He catches her eye and she goes, Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me. Look at me. How dare you? Close your eyes. <laughs> that poor kid. This is Olivia Coleman. This is what <laughs> Olivia Coleman brings to the role. Look at me. No, don't look at me. Shut your eyes. How dare you? I ugly laughed. The queen is big upset about the gout she has because it's 1710. Yeah, part of the reason that Anne is so dependent on the Duchess of Marlborough is because of the gout, right? Like, yeah. it. What if you don't know what gout is, it causes uric acid to build up in your joints, particularly in your legs and feet, and it makes it very hard to walk, and it causes extreme shooting pain in, yeah. in your legs. You develop sores. It's a whole fucking mess. Queen Anne, for a large part of her reign, was often in a wheelchair or on a crutch. Yeah. She dealt with it for a large part of her adult life. And the way Abigail first gets on her radar is that she goes out into the forest to find these herbs that will help reduce the swelling in her legs. She lies her way past the guards to get into Anne's bedchamber and starts smearing these herbs on the sores on her legs. Pelitis. Is that what it's called? Yes, Pelitis. <laughs> and Lady Marlborough catches her doing it. She's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Why did the guard let you through? And she doesn't lie to her. She doesn't. She says, I lied. It's not his fault. I lied to him. Prime Minister and Mr. I just Marlborough. wanted to help her. She seemed to suffer so much. Footman, take her downstairs. Tell Mrs. Meg she has to receive six of the birch. Go. That's enough for Sarah. She's like, all right, down to the kitchen. You get six lashes. With a birch branch. Yeah, like, I just love how the woman of the bedchamber is just in charge of discipline. Like, for goodness sake. What the hell? She's so desperate to keep anybody who is non-essential away from her, which should be just a huge red flag to everybody. Like, they're trying to have a strategy meeting? They're trying to have a strategy meeting for the war. You're right. And the queen is so ill and so out of it. She has no idea what's going on. It's like she's not even there. They're like, let's just have the meeting at the the queen's bed. Yeah, just so we could say she was there. We don't need the queen, but like, she's there. They've literally like spread the map and all the little meeple out on her. Over her her body. Over her body. And like, the only thing she has to comment about the war is, hey, whatever that chick put on my leg, it's helping. (laughs) I love it. It's like, hey, actually, that was a really good thing. And like, Lady Marlborough's like, all right. Fine. She goes down into the kitchen and interrupts the whipping. She, they got three out of six before Sarah stopped it. <laughs> and she's like, hey, listen, I probably misjudged you. Turns out that was a great thing. So why don't I just make you my maid? Yeah, they connect about, you know, the wickedness of their family and all that good stuff. And yeah, you're right. She makes her a woman of the bedchamber. Yeah, like I don't want you to picture, like she calls her her maid, but like she gets to wear fancy clothes and stuff. Yeah, she doesn't have to wear the crap that all the other maids have to wear. The scullery wear. This is where we go to, I do fear confusion and accidents. Yeah, this is chapter two. <laughs> so, um, like we said, Abigail's now a woman of the bedchamber for her insight and skill in healing the queen. Uh, cut to Harley and Godolphin with Horatio on the couch. Horatio, the duck that won the race. And they're just sitting there and the Harley's like, where's the queen? And then Lady Marlborough comes around the corner and goes, here I am. Yes, where is the queen? We've been waiting an hour. Lady Sarah. I'm here. Might I remind you, you're not the queen. No, she has sent me to speak for her. She is unwell. What says she? That Harley is a fop and a prat and smells like a 96-year-old French horse for juju. I love that. I love that she called it a vajuju. It's 1710. Lady Marlborough 
was just here to throw her weight around on Anne's behalf. She's always coming to meetings with Parliament people, speaking for Anne. She is making all of the major decisions about the war and Parliament and not consulting with Anne about any of it. Yeah, she's just like, okay, this is what I want you to do now. Yeah, the Queen said it was fine. I have a note. Harley is kind of wise to what the Duchess is doing. Like, he knows what's going on. He knows that she's being the Edith Wilson here. Every time Harley talks to Anne, he's woefully surprised about how little she understands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, Harley's a child. He literally throws a bitch fit. The way he tries to stare her down. Oh my god, this is so crazy. He, like, kicks that tray over and then gets, like, two inches from her face. You'll need to pay for the repair of that. We have a war to finance. Every penny counts. Come on, old Bean. One more victory. The way he tries to intimidate her is comical. And this is where I had the thought, first of all, this whole script is beautifully written. But second of all, I don't know if a woman in the Western world who was not a sovereign monarch ever had as much power up until that point in time as the Duchess of Marlborough. Really? Not on that scale. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the British Empire. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're the new Rome. Mm-hmm. And she's running it. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And it's all hush-hush. It's all on the low-low. And she's <laughs> fucking the queen. I know! Like, like, I just can't believe it. Now we're at a party, question mark? Yeah, we're, we're at this event. The queen gets wheeled into this ball looking like a goddamn clown. She's so dolled up. It's too much. Like, her, her makeup is not good. I feel like they've tried to overcompensate for how ill she looks. Exactly. And then they just ended up making her look worse than a lot of the men who are wearing more makeup than her. And, like, she just, you can tell, she feels so uncomfortable in this space. Harley goes right for her. Because for once, she's not in the presence of the Duchess of Marlborough. Harley's like, listen, a lot of people, a lot of the landholders in the country are angry because of this new tax that you're proposing. And the way Anne's just like, oh, Sarah says we'll win. I was just explaining to the Queen the mistake this tax is. The war as well. We should sue for peace. Oh, Harley, you are such a bore. That is for Parliament. A ball is for dancing and eating those horseradish and venison puffs. Have you tried them? I'm having trouble swallowing at the moment. Your Majesty. I'd like to enjoy the music now. Oh, yes, I love this music. I must dance. The next note I have is, what the hell is this dance? (laughs) This ridiculous dance sequence ensues between Masham and Sarah, like the Duchess of Marlborough. I don't even know what they were going for here. I don't know if this is an actual dance people would have done. I don't think that the choreography matches the music. No, not at all. And some of the some of the dance moves look pretty modern, like that bit where Masham's like leaning back on his hands and walking towards the camera. Yeah. And like, I feel like this whole spectacle is literally just a effort on Lady Marlborough's part to make Queen Anne feel underconfident and left out. Because she, what, what does Sarah say? She loves to dance. Yeah. Guess who can't dance with her? Anne. Her lover. Yeah. And like just watching Anne watch the two of them dance and she just gets more and more and more upset. And I mean, th- there's two things happening here, I think. That what you just said. And she's also realized from talking to Harley that the Duchess has been very dishonest with her mm-hmm. about the way things are going in the country. Yeah. And I think that's also making her very, very upset. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she just goes, stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop! What is that? I would like to go back to my room now. 
Stop. Mr. Harley. I agree I went too far with the tax for the war. What? It will stay as it was. We are your servants, my queen. She's like, I want to go back to my room, but before Sarah wheels her out, she goes, she says to Harley that the tax will not go forward and that it was probably a bit far to take it. She's like, now that I have the pertinent information, <laughs> we're going to walk that back a little bit. Back into our dark passageway we go. Oh my God. And the Duchess apologizes to the Queen for not being forthright and the Queen just slaps the shit out of her. I'm sorry. <laughs> the thing is, when she strikes her that way, like, you expect the mood to, like, go down even further, and, like, you expect them to be some really harsh words exchanged, but the moment Anne slaps her, it's like they're back to the way it was before. It's like, okay, I've slapped you, I've hit you, I feel better now. It's because Sarah can turn her on and off. Because after she slaps her, Sarah's like, it's okay. It's okay that you did that. I understand why. Now do you want to have some fun <gasps> that you've gotten out of that? And then they just, go, you're right, they go right back into that, you know, lovey-dovey place that they're usually in. And so basically, the Duchess whisks the Queen away to their bedchamber. And who's snooping at the books in the bedchamber? Abigail. And they don't see her when they come in. She's kind of hiding in the darkness up there. And uh, Abigail witnesses... All of their intimacy. Like, all the gay shit. Like, the Duchess of Marlborough on top of the Queen about to fuck intimacy. Like, they're in the middle of slap and tickle, and she's trying to very quietly make an exit. When you think about in that time, for a woman of Abigail's status to be witnessing the monarch sucking the fingers of the Duchess of Marlborough. <laughs> yeah. What a bizarre sight it must have been. And then, like, my stomach was so tight through this whole scene. She's very slowly tiptoeing down this staircase, and, like, all the boards are squeaking, and I was... I totally expected her to get caught. No, I was so petrified that they were going to put us through the embarrassment of her getting caught. But she doesn't. She gets out of there with the book in her hand. But Harley catches her escaping. And is like, come, let's take a walk. I want to talk to you. You're interesting. And he's basically like, listen, I know you stole that book. So I'm going to use that as leverage to ask you, Abigail, to gather inside information for me and for the opposition so that we know what's really going on. Lady Marlborough has been good to me. She saved me. I will not breach her confidence. Of course. You are in favor. But favor is a breeze that shifts direction all the time. Then in an instant, you're back sleeping with a bunch of scabrous whores wondering whose fingers in your ass. The point he's trying to illustrate is that favor as a concept is a fickle mistress. You can be on top of the world one day in the queen's good graces, and the next day you're on your back burning yourself with lie. All right, let's talk about our skeet shooting scene. You know, murdering the pigeons for fun. How are we going to waste birds and munitions on just shooting things for sport? It's murder. I hate it. Like, that that's all they're doing. I think the shooting sequence is just to demonstrate how ruthless Sarah actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, the limit she's willing to go to. The Duchess does look badass in her shooting getup. Oh my god, I love it. The white coat with all the buttons and the tri-corner hat. Because she's allowed to dress that way. Yeah. No other woman's allowed to dress that way. But she's the fucking duchess. Yeah. (laughs) So she can do what she wants. And this is where Abigail is like, 
listen, I just want to let you know, Harley came to me and wants me to dish information on you and the queen. And Lady Marlborough's like, oh, that's so cute. All my secrets are safe with you, huh? And then Abigail makes a mistake. <laughs> she tries to flex and it does not work out. No, like... She just goes... The, the Duchess goes... Abigail. <gasps> if you forget to load the pellet, the gun fires, makes a sound, but releases no shot. It is a great jape, do you agree? Yes. Maybe we will think of a use for it one day. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I do fear confusion and accidents. There's no ball in it, just powder. Yeah, this is all a passive-aggressive threat. I just love it because Lady Marlborough's like, you know, it's a funny thing. It still makes a noise regardless of whether or not there's a bullet in it or not. <laughs> Great jape, don't you think? <laughs> Room for all kinds of accidents, don't you think? Jesus! So Abigail covets the power that Sarah has. And the fact is, like you said, she's been reduced. And I think this is where she really starts jumping in. Um, the queen is threatening to jump out of a window. Oh my God, I hate this. And to get Sarah's attention. And the Duchess, like, that rat face of a page boy comes to get Sarah and the Duchess Marlborough storms upstairs. We find Anne in the window, ready to jump. Aim for the flagstones. The lawn might break your fall. <laughs> Do not care. Mrs. Morley, please. <laughs> person. Like, she does not care. She doesn't care what Anne's gonna try and do to get her attention. Like, because she's going to maintain the power here. Basically pulls the queen off the windowsill and Anne falls on the floor like she's helpless. And that way she just goes, ah, stay a while. (laughs) This was all a ploy to get her in the room. She has some dependency (laughs) problems. The queen is just randy. She was, yeah. She's sad and randy. And like, she's like, fine, whatever. If it'll make you feel better, I'll come back and I'll play a game with you later, okay? Okay, I gotta go do the budget meeting now. Someone has to run things. This takes us into what an outfit. Yeah, so while Sarah's at Parliament, Abigail decides this is gonna be a good time to peek in on the queen and kind of uh, make her cementing introduction. She comes in and of course she wants Sarah. And Abigail (laughs) manages to keep her invitation by showing interest in, um, the what, 17 rabbits that Anne keeps in her room? How many are there? 17. It's Hildebrand's day today. And which one is he? That one there. Shy but stubborn. So, here's the thing. Queen Anne, like many women of her time, were forced to be constantly pregnant. Yeah. Queen Anne had 17 different pregnancies. 17. I can't imagine having to bear that weight, not only as a woman who never wanted to bear children in the first place and was made to because she was the queen, but there's also a stigma attached to women who are supposed to be mothers, quote unquote, but they can't produce. And when you're socialized to believe that's your only purpose in life, when one after the other after the other after the other just dies in your arms or in your body. That's so horrible and debilitating. And she has a rabbit for every child she lost. Oh, God. In cages. It's like Celia Foote in The Help where she planted a rose bush for every baby she lost. I can't stand it. And the thing is, is that Sarah, Lady Marlborough, 
doesn't even like the rabbits. Doesn't, no. doesn't even like having them around. She thinks it's macabre. And like, I just, oh, it's so horrible. And I, Olivia Coleman says this thing that like, it breaks my heart. She says, I lost some 17 children. Some were born as blood. Some without breath. And some were with me for a very brief time. The day is Hildebrand's day. The day you lost him. Yes. Each one that dies, a little bit of you goes with them. She really likes that the bunny Hildebrand, that's his name, takes a liking to Abigail. She likes that the bunny likes her. Yeah. So Abigail starts spending more time with the queen on a regular basis. When Sarah's busy at court or just doesn't want to deal with her, she'll send Abigail in her stead. And they start getting really, really close. Like her pushing her in the wheelchair, taking the air. We're out shooting again. (laughs) You know what line I love? What? Did you sleep well? Like a shot badger. (laughs) Not dealing with the queen really helps your circadian rhythm. That rat-looking page boy comes out and says that the queen wants to see not the duchess, but Abigail. That moment's so great because, like, Lady Marlborough's like, all right, time to go. And he's like, um, actually, she asked for Abigail. (laughs) Cut to to Anne setting up her own little race course in her bedroom. And Sarah barges in and she goes, oh, I thought I've, I've sent for some lobsters. I thought we could race them and then eat them. <laughs> what the fuck? I, I, this is, I, I love the little Olivia-isms that come through in her. <laughs> I've sent for some lobsters. I thought we could race them and then eat them. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. I hope you have three. You sent for Abigail to try and make me jealous, I think. Perhaps. Uh, oh, I've been with the lobsters. He's scared. <sighs> barges right up to her, grabs her by the throat, throws her against her bedpost, and is like, you are meant to make me jealous, aren't you, summoning Abigail instead of me. The choking? Excuse me! She is the monarch! And the way she goes, are you scared? And I'm like, this is fucked up. Like, it is. This is so fucked up. And then, like, the scullery maid comes in with the lobsters and she lets her go immediately. She's like, oh, well, yeah, well, that's all well and good. Ah, ha, ha, nothing going on in here. Do we have to talk about Lord Masham or whatever the hell his name well, is? Well, we will talk very little about him as time goes on. Uh, basically, all we really need to know is that he's taking an interest in Abigail. My next note is, hello, I am Bernie Sanders, and I am once again asking you if we can skip the Abigail-Lord Masham scene. <laughs> Like, all they're trying to do is set them up as liking each other, and, like, I just, I hate every scene with him in it. So, Harley makes Abigail, well, Abigail does it herself, but Abigail tells Harley that the queen is going to indeed impose this landholder's tax in order to fund the war. (laughs) Oh, this causes a huge problem. (laughs) In Parliament, the queen is all dressed up, ready to announce this new tax to fund the war. She has prepared notes, and before she can say anything... Harley gets up and makes a fond tribute to Queen Anne for not imposing a new tax (laughs) before she can announce it. For the doubling of the tax would have been a disaster and the fields would have run with blood as the countryside rose up against our city friends to add to the piling dead of our sons already on the field of this war. Again, to our queen. For her deep wisdom in knowing where to draw the line in holding our country together. And I just love the way she's just side-eyeing Anne, the Duchess of Marble. She's like, are you fucking serious? Are you kidding me right now? And instead of saying anything, she just pretends to faint. <laughs> that last look she gives Sarah before she's just like, oh my God. And then just falls over so that she doesn't have to go through with it. None of her notes. 
dance match now. <laughs> She's not prepared. That's how little she knows about her own country's economic situation. She is in no way prepared to speak on the fly about what is good for this country. <laughs> anyway, we move on from that. So the queen gets taken back from, you know, her fainting spell in Parliament to find that Abigail, she planned this. <laughs> she got in bed naked so that the queen would find her naked in bed. She's trying to plant those seeds of desire, baby. <laughs> and the queen's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. I, I thought that I'd be out of here before you got back. <laughs> I saw your lovely sheets and I was just overcome. And the queen's like, you can get out now. <laughs> and so she dresses in front of the queen. And the queen's just like, hmm. Mm. In the middle of the night, <laughs> she has Abigail pulled out of bed. And then she comes in there. I love this track that's playing. The no. Uh, no. It's like a jazzy type thing. <laughs> yeah. Jaws violin. <laughs> <laughs> and the way she's just rub my legs. Yeah, she's she pulls her out of bed to rub her legs, and I have in all capital letters, okay. I love this story that Emma Stone tells about this scene. Because <laughs> basically what happens is she ends up fingering the queen. Uh... And there is a box in Olivia Coleman's crotch <laughs> with a wet sponge in it. <laughs> And they're trying to make it real, and Emma's, uh, this story that Emma tells, she's like, well, we were trying to make it really, you know, believable and sensual, and, you know, it's Olivia Coleman. <laughs> and Olivia's laughing, and they can't get the take. <laughs> and so that's when they put the wet sponge in there to make it more realistic, I guess. <laughs> so I just love the thought of watching this beautifully shot scene with the low lighting from the fire, and it's just Emma Stone touching a wet sponge underneath <laughs> Olivia Coleman's dress. But yeah, I just, the way the queen goes. Oh, oh, the pain. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, the pain. So the duchess goes to tell the queen that the troops are in position to attack. And um, basically she goes in the middle of the night to tell her this and finds Abigail naked in bed with the queen. Yeah. This wrecks Sarah's world. The look in her face is not a look we see the rest of the film. Oh no, she's like, oh no, my control over the queen, whatever shall I do? Her power is going to begin to come apart because Anne is all of her power. Exactly. Because they can't be public. Mm -mm. They can't be out in the open. She's like, okay, everything's kind of crumbling around me. Must do something. Cut to Sarah, the Duchess of Marlborough, throwing books. She is looking for the book that Abigail stole. Yeah. And Abigail comes back into the library with the book. Like, she's going to return it. And she immediately becomes victim to this woman's tantrum. She's like, listen, I'm sorry it happened. The queen is very forceful. She just dismisses her from her service entirely. Yeah, fires her. Tells her she's going to go work in the scullery. I think you are a pretty little lie that I have misjudged. I did not mean for this to happen. The Queen, she is forceful. You are dismissed from my service. Go back to Mrs. Meg and tell her to find you a position in the scullery, and if she asks why, tell her because I am a disloyal little bitch. Yes, your ladyship. So Abigail is like, okay, now my power's crumbling. Time to get drastic. She breaks her own nose with a book to make it look like she's been beaten up at Sarah's order, 
then goes and sits outside of Anne's room and cries until Anne comes and finds her to make it look like she's been beaten up. This was wild to me, like just watching her clock herself in the face with that book more than once. She like hits herself the first time. She goes, wow, that hurt, but I need, I need blood and hits herself again. And I'm just like, the survival instincts of these women are truly terrifying. The Duchess is taking the Queen to her carriage. We're going for a spa day. And she's like, I'm just so sad that I had to dismiss Abigail for theft. And the Queen's like, mm, she's not dismissed. <laughs> she's, she's like, she's my servant. Abigail is waiting at the carriage for the Queen. <laughs> and she says, I've made her my maid of the bedchamber. Did you not hear what I said? Yes, you regard her as a liar and a thief. Yes. I do not, obviously. You will dismiss her. I don't want to. I like it when she puts her tongue inside me. The way, <laughs> the way we screamed when she said that. <laughs> it's just not a thing you hear in period pieces all the time. And it's like, she's taking better care of me than you are, so... Oh my god! Uh... This takes us into, what if I should fall asleep and slip under? What a terrible title card to have to read. I had to literally pause it to read it. So the three are partaking in a mud bath. The queen's in the bath. Abigail's soaking her feet. And who shows up? The Lady Duchess of Marlborough. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I thought I'd come and join you. Yeah, she wasn't going to let them have a party without her. Sarah's new agenda is to not allow them to be alone together as you know much as possible. And we get these series of short scenes that are just the Lady Marlborough flexing in front of Abigail. Like, see, we have a shared history. We have inside jokes. You'll never live up to who I am. When Anne's like, oh, Lady Marlborough, we've had so many marvelous times together. And behind them, Abigail goes, oh, I do love ancient history. Ah, the shade <laughs> of it all. <laughs> the, the way that in that scene where... Abigail's walking behind them and they finally leave her and Abigail's like, okay, I'm not getting in the bedchamber tonight. And when Sarah and Anne hide behind that door, like she jerks her to one side and she's like, you're enjoying this, aren't you? <laughs> you are enjoying one of us, aren't you? To be beloved, of course. To see you trying to win me, why what is not to love, my dear? You will stop this ridiculous infatuation. You have made your point. Perhaps I was not making a point. And I'm like, this is this is the toxic high school relationship that must end before it goes any further. For real. <laughs> uh, Abigail is going crazy about the other two and is really losing her grip on Anne. So now we're going to go to really drastic measures. And what does Abigail deem it appropriate to do, Carrie Ann? She decides that she's going to pick some more herbs and she's going to poison Marlboro's tea. Like, they're all sitting in Anne's chambers, Marlboro, the Queen, and Abigail. Marlboro's getting ready to go out on a ride, and Abigail poisons the tea. The, uh, yeah, the Duchess goes out for a ride, and um, she starts getting a little uh, feverish during her ride. Lil woozy. She leans over, throws up, falls off her horse... Her foot catches the stirrups, and that horse just takes off running, dragging her behind the whole way. She's unconscious. She has no way of making this stop. <laughs> and he just drags her. That horse drags her for miles and miles. So Sarah's gone for a minute. <laughs> this is where Abigail seizes her moment. She goes and finds Harley. This is the gayest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Harley and his buddies are throwing fruit 
at a naked man in a wig. Yeah. <laughs> just for, for fun. Yeah, for fun. Like, he's in on it. He's part of the joke. I mean, I guess you don't have the internet. You don't have television. So we're just going to throw pomegranates at a naked man in a wig. We're going to throw fruits at fruits. And <laughs> she encounters them doing this. And basically, Abigail's like challenging Harley by saying, listen, I'm the new favorite. <laughs> And I can either fill her ear with poison about you, or I can fill her ears with the things you want me to say. Look at me. Look at me. I am the captain now. (laughs) The country's future hangs in the balance. Mm -hmm. My thing is what I wish to talk about. You do not care. I thought you were on our side. I'm on my side. Always. Sometimes it's a happy coincidence for you. Like now, you'll get a chance to save the country. Abigail tells Harley that she will get him an audience with the queen if he asks the queen for a favor on her behalf. Abigail wants Anne to approve of a marriage between Lord Masham and herself, even though she's just a maid. So that she can become a lady again. Uh-huh. She can become noble again. Like, because, like we said, the, the concept of the favorite is very fickle. And, like, just simply being the queen's favorite isn't going to secure her future. She needs to be married to a nobleman. The point where Abigail lost me was when she said to Harley, "I'm." when he's like, whose side are you on? She's like, I'm on my side. Always. So Harley does encourage the match of Abigail and Masham, and we see Harley coming more and more into the Queen's favor. The Queen thinks the Duchess has disappeared to make her crazy with jealousy, (laughs) when really, she's in danger and probably quite injured. What do you mean she's not been seen? She took a horse, Your Majesty. They did not come back, and nor did she. I shall send riders. No. I think she means to vex me. Do not send riders. In case she has fallen, She's too good a rider for that. I know what she is. Do not seek her. Actually, you know what? No. Let her die of exposure. (laughs) See if I care. She's like, do not seek her. And so I guess maybe a matter of days goes by, and finally the Queen Anne loses her shit. And she's like, find her! (laughs) Pulls everybody out of bed in the middle of the night. Go look for her! I want Sarah! I want Sarah! Perhaps she's gone to Blenheim. A palace. There is no palace yet. It is the woods. We should check in the trees, just to be sure. Mr. Harley! Apologize. I hope we find her and she's not dead in a ditch. (laughs) So now Abigail is moving into controlling matters and influencing matters of the war. Yeah, like normally it's Marlborough speaking for Anne in these meetings, but now that she's not there, Abigail's really throwing her weight around. That's how easy this all ended up being. We just had to get Sarah out of the way for like five minutes. It's hard. It was hard for me initially to determine whether or not Abigail's affection for Anne was real in any way. I don't think it is at all. I don't think it... I don't even think she's a lesbian. No. Like, I I think that really both of these women have really taken advantage of a queer woman with very low confidence... And a lot of power. And a lot of power who really didn't know how to run a country. And it's just like, could we all knock it off, please, for crying out loud? As a gift to Abigail for being so beautiful with her, Anne sanctions the marriage of Abigail and Masham. I will not lie. I would like to be a lady again. Yes, yes, this is right. While she is gone, if we wait, she'll return and yell and stomp about it. But you must have this. This is my gift to you, and I demand you take it. Of course. When? Let, let, now. I, Abigail Hill, take thee, Samuel Masham, to be my lawful wedded husband. I, Samuel Masham, take thee, Abigail Hill. 
Abigail gets real elevated real fast and doesn't just okay her marriage to Masham. She clears all of her debts. She gives her apartments in the east wing of the palace. And 2,000 pounds a year. 2,000 pounds a year for just existing. I, wouldn't you love? I would. Wouldn't you love? Oh, you'd do so well as a woman of the court. Oh, I would. Oh, you really would. And I bet you'd fuck the queen if she asked you to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You're like, listen, honey. Anytime, day or night, you yank me out of bed, I will be there. For queen and country, and let's go. We can eat cake and play with the bunnies <laughs> and ignore the war, and it'll just be a gay old time. I would not ignore the war, but I'm all up for money play. And just real quick, it's Masham and Abigail's wedding night. <laughs> and he's like, will you jack me off, please? And she's obsessing about Sarah. She's like, she's gone. I find myself more concerned than when she was here. It's like she could strike from anywhere at any time. I will not see it coming. She must be calm. She's gone. I married. She's giving Masham a handjob <laughs> while staring away from him and going, I just need to be calm. She's gone. The Duchess is gone. And I'm married. And everything's going to be just fine. Cut to the Duchess of Marlborough. Sarah Churchill waking up in a cunny house where she is being nursed to health by sex workers. I love the name cunny house. I don't know why. If you watch Harlots, you know that means a brothel. Like <laughs> She is beat up. Yeah, she has this long, ugly scar on the left side of her face now from where I'm sure she hit a rock. Also, I love that the sex workers hold the Duchess of Marlborough for ransom. A little bit, Enough yeah. to where the prime minister himself comes to get her with the money and the food and whatever else in hand for these sex workers. There's a concert being held for the ladies of the court. And Abigail's like having this moment of, I'm here. I've done it. I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying a concert. For other ladies of the court, as a lady of the court. Wow. Yeah. This is just fucking great. Mm. And she's watching the singer, and she's kind of taken with the singer, and she's feeling it. She's in the moment. And then out of the corner of her eye comes walking the beat-up Duchess of Marlborough. <laughs> and the way she just stiffens, like, oh, God, it's go time. Okay. <laughs> All right. She's here. Red alert! Stay fucking calm! <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then Sarah. Everybody leave. (laughs) (laughs) She sends everybody out of the room so they can have a confrontation. And Abigail is not phased. She's like, I'm a lady now. Fuck you. Yeah, I literally won. I got my status back. I have searched my heart, and I did not have trust in it, and that is my shame. I could not just stand by and let you destroy me. You have perhaps taught me that. But it's over now. I have won. I am safe. She's kind of right, Sarah. She's created a monster. And then the Duchess just slaps the shit out of her. Oh, I see you still have some anger you need to expiate. (laughs) I learned a new word today. (laughs) Expiate. And then cut to the Duchess going, listen, send her away. Send Abigail away from my heart, Mrs. Morley, do it. She wakes Anne up in the middle of the night to be like, all right. You gotta get rid of her. I don't know what you want me to say, but she's a bad presence. Like, and the queen's just like, listen, you're jealous. I'm the fucking queen. Don't do that thing you're trying to do right now. I'm not gonna let you run me anymore. I love the line, I am the queen. Do not try to do that thing you do. Do not try to manage this as you cannot. I know that Harley has been in your ear and Abigail in your bed. Enough! 
You will be as I wish you to be from now on. Do you understand? Anne. Don't. No, don't. No, your face frightens me. Don't! Good night, Lady Mulder. The Duchess goes into lovey mode and tries to get on top of her. Oh, I love this. And she looks so fucked up because her face is scarred and bruised so badly. The queen's like, no, you look you look scary. Don't get on me. And shoves her off of her onto the floor. And then she just goes, good night, Lady Marlborough. <laughs> this takes us into leave that. I like it. After the sex denial, the Duchess really changes her tune for a second there. She brings all of their love letters to her in bed. Thought I'd misplaced some of them the other day. It was quite a fright. What if say that son of a bitch, Jonathan Swift, got his hands on them in his newspaper the next day? He would be ruined. He would never. You have no idea what I would do for my country. Look at all of these. Aren't these wonderful? I was just reading over these last night and thinking what a terrible shame it would be if it were to end up in the hands of the press. And then Anne's like, are you serious? You're going to ruin both of us? You're going to out us right now? She's like, I will use these letters if you do not do exactly as I ask you. Her list of demands is very complicated. She wants the tax hike increased. Uh-huh. She wants uh, some parliamentary seats to go to Whigs instead of Tories. Yes. And she wants Anne to send Abigail away. Like, those are her demands, and if they are not met, the whole world's going to know about their love affair. This is such a flex. And really such a risky gamble. It really is. It's still the queen. And Anne has this new confidence. And like, this could go either way, right? Yeah. And you think for a minute Anne's going to give in on this. Uh Uh-huh. Because like, she doesn't want all that shit out there. And then right as the Duchess thinks she's going to get everything she wants out of Anne. She makes a mistake. She burns all of their letters. I don't know why she did this. Do you think she actually felt bad about this? I think she thought she was going to get what she asked for. And so she went, well, just so that this is never a problem again, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of it. Because what if... Because, you know, she has Abigail around and, like, who knows who will do what to her. Exactly. Anymore. She's put herself in that risky position. But, like, to destroy the evidence before you get what you want in writing is such a rookie move. Like, (laughs) then the Chamberlain, the Lord Chamberlain comes in and says, hand over your key. You're done. (laughs) And she's like, wait a minute. Can I see the queen? And he's like, no. Hand over your key. The queen will not grant you an audience. You need to get out. She's been kicked out of court. That fucking key that she takes out of her pocket <laughs> that is the key to the queen's bedroom. It's so big. The key that the woman of the bedchamber holds. Like, it's so bedazzled. Who needs a key with diamonds <laughs> to open a, open a door? <laughs> and then Sarah tries to manipulate her even more, goes down their secret little passage and tries talking to her through the wall. Oh, yeah. This conversation with the secret door between them. Basically, if I walk out that door right now, Anne, I'm not coming back. You know, the whole ultimatum type of thing. She does not love you. Because how could anyone? She wants nothing from me, unlike you. She wants nothing from you, and yet somehow she is a lady with 2,000 a year, and Harley sits on your knee most nights. I wish you could love me as she does. You wish me to lie to you? I just, I love the way it's delivered. When she goes, you know, I wish you could love me as Abigail does. And she goes, you wish me to lie to you? Exactly. She's trying to gaslight oh. her. You look like a, a, an angel fell from heaven, your majesty. No. 
Sometimes you look like a badger. And you can rely on me to tell you. Why? Because I will not lie. That is love. And I'm like, okay, you have a bit of a point. I mean, yeah, she is taking what is a good point and turning it in her own selfish favor. Like, honesty is important in a relationship. But you know what's not cool? Constantly putting someone down to the point where they can be a fucking monarch and still feel like they have no power. This is Anne's final straw. (laughs) Cut to Anne announcing she no longer has confidence in Godolphin's government. They will sue for peace with France immediately, and that Robert Harley will become the new prime minister. Like, she shakes things up pretty big, pretty fast. She turns everything over. She dismisses a whole generation of courtier in favor of Abigail and the people that Abigail brings in. Abigail becomes the woman of the bedchamber, the keeper of the privy purse. So she's in charge of the books now. Yeah, she's given all the power that the Duchess of Marlborough previously had. And the way that everything's being taken out of Lady Marlborough's apartment and Abigail's just standing there smiling because it's going to become hers. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) no, leave that. I like that. Leave that. I like it. (laughs) And the Duchess going, oh, my God, you actually think you have won. Haven't I? We were playing very different games. All I know is your carriage awaits. And my maid is on her way up with something called a pineapple. I just love that so much because nobody knew what pineapples were yet in those days. Isn't that fun? (laughs) She's like, I have a pineapple. Suck on it. In the dead of night, like Adams from the White House, she leaves Hampton Court Palace, the Duchess of Marlborough. This takes us into I dreamt I stabbed you in the eye. Guys, we're going to kind of fly through the end of this (laughs) because a lot of weird shit happens. We get kind of a time jump, don't we? Yes, Abigail has very well acclimated to her new lifestyle. And guess what? She's kind of ignoring and neglecting the queen. Yeah, she's drinking and partying and having affairs and just completely ignoring all of Anne's emotional needs. To make matters worse, Anne has had a stroke, which has left her paralyzed on the left side of her body. Oh, this is so... I just... I feel so bad for her because she can't walk. She can't see. Like, she's so blind. She has to use a magnifying glass to read and now she doesn't have use of her left side i hate that for her this is interspersed with snippets of the duchess writing letters trying to get anne back you know what i mean trying to come back into favor and um abigail of course gets wind of this because she opens the mail (laughs) she's trying to intercept this letter this is i feel like we kind of hone in on a little bit of abigail's humanity here because she's reading this probably really desperate letter from the duchess of marlborough to the queen And she just gets up, throws it in the fire, and we just have, like, one tear. You know what I mean? I don't know if... I I read this as maybe she feels a little bit shitty that she destroyed what probably was a real relationship. Like, I didn't know how else to read that. Like, why else would she be crying? She's not crying because she thinks that Anne might still love... The Duchess of Marlborough. I'm not... Like, that can't be it. I, I I understand what you're saying, and I also don't understand the motivations there. Like, she she obviously burns it so that Anne will never see it, and so there's never an opportunity for reconciliation. But you're right. The way she's so emotional about it, I truly do not understand. So this is where Abigail decides, okay, I need to end this threat once and for all. I don't know if this is true or not, but... 
I need I need to do my own research. But Abigail informs the queen that while the Marlboros were keepers of the privy purse, they stole thousands of pounds from the crown. And do you think that might have been true? I know you just said- I you- think it's probably true. I mean, yeah, I also- Because the Marlboros were in real life banished from England after that happened. Uh-huh. And this kind of puts the whole thing to, no pun intended, puts the whole thing to bed for Anne. And this last- Really weird scene in the film is they're in the queen's bedchamber. The queen's laying down and the rabbits are out. And Abigail is, I don't know, reading a book or drinking tea. I don't know what she's doing. She's sitting there reading a book, eating some grapes, enjoying her nice life. And this bunny comes like underneath her dangling foot. Yeah. And then for whatever, you know, impulsive reason, she puts her shoe down on top of the rabbit. I used to work in an exotic animal clinic. If you've ever heard a rabbit scream, it's terrifying. Now, that's the rabbit doesn't scream, but, but she, the, the she, little noises it makes. She just puts pressure on this poor, helpless animal until it squeals in pain. And then, of course, that makes the queen sit up and she sees what Abigail's doing. And then Anne, stroke-ridden Anne, unable to use her left side, wallers herself out of bed and is like, come rub my fucking legs, you bitch. Let's get you in a chair. How dare you touch the queen like that? I'm sorry. I did not ask you to speak. Rub my leg. Like, those are her children. Yeah. That is how she looks at them. And she just watched this woman, who supposedly loves her very much, show the same indifference to those rabbits as... Sarah did in the beginning. And that just, I think, makes it all click for her. I feel so I feel so bad for Anne as a character. She's never going to get what she wants. Right. Not really. Not truly. Everybody leaves me. Everybody dies. No one really loves me. Like, it's all her worst fears are being validated. And there's this really weird, I, I timed it. It's two and a half minutes. I love this. I actually have a lot of thoughts on this now. Like, where... She, like, forces Abigail down to the ground and is, like, making her rub her gouty legs. While she's standing. And just this, you know, this tired look on Abigail's face that just slowly devolves into this existential, dreadful look. I think the composition of this shot is very important to the final thoughts of this movie, really, because Anne is standing, she's having Abigail rub her legs while she's standing, and Abigail's on her knees, and she says, I'm dizzy, I need to steady myself, and then puts her hand on top of Abigail's head, and you know what it looks like. Yeah. It looks like she's being a head pusher. Yeah. Like she's a dude that wants her to go down on him, Mm -hmm. and I, you're right. I see it behind Abigail's eyes. She realizes that after clawing her way out of the gutter, she's still on her knees at the mercy of someone else. A servant. Yeah. Reduced. She caused all this misery to get to this high place of status. And in reality, she's achieved nothing. And then we get that really long shot of Anne, where she's just looking around like kind of comically hopeless. Yeah. You know what I mean? It the look in her face is just kind of this look of of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course I just traded one for another. 
Nothing is different. One abuser for another abuser. One manipulator for another. Nothing's really different. That just fades into this, like, mesh of them overlaid with rabbits hopping around and... It just, it takes forever, but it, the screen finally goes to black. And I have roll credits! That's great, I guess. Roll credits, can't read them because the letters are miles apart, but guys. I was just like, great, they're all horrible people. I'm glad they have each other. Goodbye! And you may ask yourself, why did you do this for Pride Month? <laughs> now that we've talked through it and how crazy it all was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I saw a queer period relationship and I was like, okay, let's di- let's dissect the drama of this. I did not expect to find what we did. Well, I mean, during hey, the dissection. I think that this was a good choice for a number of reasons. I think that we don't see a lot of movies number 1 where same-sex relationships are portrayed before like 1900, yeah, right? Yeah. And like anything before 1900 is going to have a different set of circumstances than any other time. Being that you can't be out and proud. Right, yeah. right. And not even necessarily for religious reasons. People just hated gays. Yeah. Like the word the words man shall not lie with man did not appear in the Bible until the early 40s, 1940s. Yeah. And like before that it wasn't hate based on religion it was people hated gay people because they were different and like so i think it's interesting to look at it in an early 18th century capacity i think it's also interesting that we get to have this look at intimate partner violence between same-sex couples yeah indeed because when we think about those things we tend to think about them with gender bias as a a man hitting a woman in a heteronormative relationship and i think it sometimes doesn't dawn on people that abuse is abuse abuse is abuse regardless of who's giving it being part of the alphabet mafia does not make you a good person automatically now we we don't we don't want to stretch the you know crazy manipulative abusive lesbian relationship trope but but, you know. No, exactly. Like, it happens. It does happen. And we have to stop thinking about it with such a heteronormative straight lens. Mm-hmm. And so... Or I, a fisheye lens. Yeah. The, as the favorite would have it. All the fisheye lenses. <laughs> God, why? Uh, um, I will say, uh, Queen Anne did pass away like three years after this supposedly took place. It was her time. She was sick. She was ill. And um, she's not suffering anymore. She had no children. So this is where the House of Stuart ends and the House of Hanover begins. There's literally no more descendants in the original lines. So the throne transfers to Anne's German cousins. The current queen is descendant of those German cousins. The current British royal family is way more German than they are British. Uh, yeah, and they would like you to not remember that. They are, like, fully German. What was the name of that motherfucker that abdicated again? Edward VIII? Yeah, Edward VIII. The Duke of Windsor? Who was definitely a Nazi sympathizer? Indeed. Uh, I mean, hey, his cousin was the Kaiser. For fuck's sake! Like, you know, Let's not have the... Like, Britain was with the Allies, for crying out loud. I know. And we have cousins on the Axis? (laughs) What the fuck? All right.
right, guys, thanks for sticking with us through that crazy roller coaster. Thanks for unpacking that with us. Uh, I'm sorry it was so nuts and crazy, but we know now. <laughs> yeah, we sure know. <laughs> We've seen the favorite, it's, so. It's still a great movie. I still think y'all should watch it. Just be prepared, yeah, man. It's crazy. It's rough in places. <laughs> not expecting it to be so crazy. <laughs> But next week, we're going to get a little lighter. We're going to do a comedy. I have not seen this movie. And I have only ever seen it in pieces, so this will be quite enjoyable, I think. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're going to go old school. We're going all the way back to 1999 and a little baby Natasha Leone. But I'm a cheerleader. I've seen this about on streaming services, and I've always thought... Maybe, but I haven't yet, so I'm excited that we will be able to now. It's about gay conversion therapy, y'all. And I, it has a lot of great names in it that I can't <laughs> wait to discuss. <laughs> so be on the lookout for that, folks. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be engaging with us. Please practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to join our little watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Mom. Mom. Gossip news, gossip news, gossip news.